Good evening and welcome to the show. Well, Victorian politician Moira Deeming entered state politics last year for reasons that should be unremarkably mainstream. She spent 10 years teaching literature, philosophy, science and law at high school level before deciding to run for parliament because she was worried that people's rights and responsibilities as citizens were getting out of balance. She is resolutely conservative, Christian and a mother of four children. Her election to the Victorian Legislative Council last November as a Liberal Party representative of the western suburbs of Melbourne should have been a relatively easy transition for her to make, given that she has, as I said, what used to be normal values. But that all changed on March 18, when she spoke at a rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament alongside British women's rights campaigner Kelly J. Keane. They were there to voice their opposition to men claiming to be women and occupying women's spaces. Again, until recently, such ideas were mundanely mainstream. For an event that has had so many serious ramifications, little is known about what really happened at that rally. Independent cameraman and journalist Rukshan Fernando recorded the whole event, which is still up on Facebook. Looking at it now from the perspective of a person who wasn't caught up in the volatile atmosphere and theatrics of the event, you have to say it evolved in ways that look almost stage-managed. It resulted in some sensational imagery which, as we all know, benefited some politicians and thoroughly besmirched Deeming and Keane. Rukshan's video starts as Keane and her group of several dozen supporters are gathered around a makeshift podium with a microphone on the steps of Parliament. Rukshan then turns around to film the pro-trans protesters who have gathered on the other side of Spring Street. As you can see, a cordon of police, some of them on horseback, keep the two groups separate. Then another small group of about a dozen men in black show up to the right of Keane's group. They form a line across Spring Street, unfurl a banner saying destroy pedo freaks and start doing Nazi salutes. You can just see them here standing next to the banner and facing the other two groups the, po the police form another cordon on that side as well. So now there are three groups, Keane, Deeming and the pro-women supporters on the steps of parliament, their transgender supporting opponents opposite them, and the Nazis to the right, with police keeping the peace by standing between all of them. Then things develop in an unexpected way. A large group of about 60 or more pro-trans protesters suddenly appear behind the Nazis. The Nazis turn, turn around and start doing Sig Heil gestures. This creates a very volatile situation. So the police who are standing between the Nazis and Keynes supporters on the steps of parliament rush forward to stand between the Nazis and this new group of trans protesters. As you can see, things are pretty tense, so the police do exactly the right thing. 
But this leaves nothing between the Nazis and Keynes' pro-women group. And when the tension dies down, the Nazis make a move that has profound consequences for people who never even knew they were there. The Nazis take the opportunity to line up on the steps of parliament not far from Keane and Deeming and make their comical Nazi salutes. As you can see, these men are more amusing than intimidating. Even if they did enjoy widespread support, and they most certainly do not, it's difficult to imagine them organising the Australian equivalent of the Nuremberg rallies anytime soon. But the media is more interested in talking them up as a sinister underground movement than investigating who they actually are. Deeming and Keane have since been inextricably associated with them, even by Deeming's own Liberal leader, John Pesuto, who said, I will never, ever accept any member of the Parliamentary Liberal Party under my leadership ever associating with anybody who shares a platform with people who peddle hate, division and attack people for who they are. Deeming has since been expelled, temporarily expelled, from the Liberal Party for nine months. Some people, such as Premier Dan Andrews, have pounced on the opportunity to smear Deeming with insinuations that the association with Nazis was more than coincidental. Deeming has, for the past month, had to live with the fact that many people think she is a hate-filled Nazi. Is she? Well, I'm pleased to say she joins me now so I can ask her myself. Moira Deeming, welcome to The Fred Paul Show. Thank you for having me. I should point out that Moira has done a day trip to Ballarat with her children and uh, the only place, quiet place she can find to do this interview is in her car, which ex explains where she's <laughs> sitting. Anyway, Moira, thank you so much for joining us. Let's start with how confusing it was on the day of the Let Women Speak rally. Did you know that those Nazis were standing near you on the steps of parliament that day? No, I didn't actually really find out what had happened in full until, you know, uh, other people put up their footage and photos. Uh, so I was called in for a meeting uh, on the Sunday night. Um, you know, I had I had seen that one Nazi salute as the group was being taken out. I initially had thought they were Antifa. People know that now. Um, but on the Sunday night, I didn't know what had happened Um and I had to go back and look at the footage because it was so confusing. And I was worried I and I was terrified. I thought, oh, what if I should have seen these people? How did I not see them? How come everyone else knows who they are and I don't? Um, yeah, but it was really helpful to see all the footage and the photos. They were very, very far away from us. Uh, when I saw them, I couldn't see the sign. There was no Nazi insignia anyway. And... Sorry, there's just someone well, walking past my car. And, well, um, and, and, and when they did the salute on the steps, they... They were behind a really big pole, um, which explained why I didn't even see that. And that was the only time that they were close by. So I could only put it together later on with the footage. Well, we'll look into how you've managed to be associated with them nonetheless in a minute. 
But just staying on the uh, issue of Nazism, you have an uncle who was a Holocaust survivor who you were close to. I assume that would make it difficult for you to sympathize with Nazis, wouldn't it? Yes, and yeah, I think that's why it came as such a shock that that was the particular accusation that was eventually leveled at me. Um, I, I imagine know, that you'd find that quite disturbing. People don't know my history. So mm, yes. It was. It was deeply insulting. I've just found out today that, um, you know, two, two invitations have been withdrawn from me now, from community groups on the basis of these allegations, uh, because they would like to wait until my name is properly cleared. And that's just been really hurtful and disappointing just to see that it really will damage my family. Um, and it started to damage me pretty severely in terms of just opportunities and whether or not people will be wel welcoming me into their groups. You know, I well, know that it's not true. My family knows that it's not true, you know, because of these reasons, because, you know, obviously we know all about uh, the Holocaust. We were raised in the presence of someone who had been damaged and we were taught to be very careful and, and loving and gracious um, for the fact that, you know, he did find it difficult to have little kids around sometimes. And I remember, you know, that we had to be quiet and things like that. He was a lovely, lovely man, but, um, you know, he was not very interactive and, and we, we were raised to understand that that's just because he had been so damaged. Um, yeah, so it's just, it just feels just surreal, like impossible. <laughs> it's difficult to imagine that, you know, what sort of, uh, how it would be to be in your position. It, it must be pretty intense. As I said in my introduction, you entered Parliament for all the right reasons and none of them were particularly controversial. Now, you were at this rally on the day to express your concern for the safety of women and girls. Now, you recently revealed that this was in some ways a consequence of you actually, ter terrifyingly, being raped as a child. Now, can you explain in your own words what drives you to protect children? It's just not wanting what happened to me to happen to anyone else. And I've been accused of, you know, being paranoid and um, that these, my concerns about these uh, new laws are fringe and that nobody else agrees with me and that, and that I don't have a right to feel this way. When you say but new laws, do you, mean, do, you, do you mean laws regarding transgender people? Yeah, so just the gender identity laws. So it's basically two things have happened. They have removed concrete definitions of male and female in the law. They've done that federally in the 2013 Sex Discrimination Act, and then they've followed suit in all the states, obviously, because federal law supersedes state law. Uh, and so there's just, there's confusion around the law. As a counsellor, I spent two years trying to find out if there was a compromise that was possible in the law. You know, even I thought, it can't be. Surely the Labor Party, the party of women, did not actually just remove women's rights. Surely I'm just being paranoid. Perhaps I'm being, you know, by, you know, partisan. And, and I spent two years on council trying to find out if there was any compromise, any wriggle, we, you know, wiggle room in the law so that we could look after transgender people, you know, in a third space perhaps. Or, you know, toilets are quite easy. You just do single occupancy, floor to ceiling um you know, toilet cubicles. But when it comes to change rooms and other services, um, you know, for example, Muslim female-only swim sessions, you know, you have to choose one right over the other. Is it religious yeah. um, 
is it, it you know is religion the ascendant right yeah freedom of religion or is it gender identity and nobody would give me an answer because and i was just trying to find a way to cater for all people but it seems to me that the government won't um, admit that that's actually not possible now what they have done is made the law so confusing that that we we we, we are at risk of being um committing a crime if we even question someone well, just trying to cater for all people is what good politicians do. Now, just, but just to be clear, the the um, making the uh, definition of men and women ambiguous and giving transgender men or men who pretend to be women access to women's spaces, there is increasing evidence that that makes women's spaces less safe. Is that your opinion? Well, it's not even whether the people are transgender or not. It's just that, um, and I'm not, I'm not a man hater, but you know, there is such a thing as male pattern violence towards females. It's often sexual in nature. Um, and so it doesn't really matter if they're transgender or not. It's not about their gender identity, uh, but it's about, you know, it's about, it's just about predators using the law. Uh, and the law is so, uh, open wide to exploitation. So, in Victoria, even questioning why a man is in the toilet can get you in trouble. Um, definitely barring them entry into a toilet or a change room, that's illegal. Um, you know, sporting clubs and other facilities have been advised by government bureaucracies to put up signs saying, if there is a person in here, then they belong here. Well, we should and carry on. Yeah, it, It's just carte blanche. It's carte blanche. There's, there's no compromise. There's no... There's no effort whatsoever at all uh, to secure safeguarding dignity and privacy for sex-based rights for females on the basis of them being female. So they've made gender identity more important than sex. Well, it should be relatively easy in these kind of situations just to re re return to fundamental principles of morality. But increasingly such uh, d dealing with uh, moral issues these days is increasingly difficult because there is a lot of ambiguity about the language we use and the definitions of various uh, types of sexuality and even genders. Now, you are known, just to broaden the moral picture for a, a, a second, you're known for your opposition to abortion, again, partly because of an indirect but personal encounter with it. Can you explain what happens then? Uh, so I'd just like to point out that, uh, you know, my opposition to abortion, pe people know that I go to pro-life events, that I'm pro-life, uh, but they, you know, they just assume that they know exactly what my full opinion on, you know, abortion is, and they don't. They assume that it's religious, it's not. When I was a teenager, uh, I helped my best friend to get an abortion um, with the nun, actually, at my school, and I was warned, you know, by my mother, actually, she said, you need to understand, Moira, that after this, your friend is not going to want to have anything to do with you. And I said, of course she will, mum. I've helped her through this amazing time. We've been best friends for years and years. What are you talking about? And, but my mum was absolutely right. So my best, I reminded my best friend of the abortion that, you know, she, she got with help. No one shamed her. It was fine. But she came up to me one day and, uh, uh, sorry, after the abortion, she just didn't want anything to do with me. Her life fell apart. She started, you know, um, she couldn't come to classes. She she became so depressed. It, it it destroyed her, and I thought it was going to fix all her problems. My feminist upbringing, you know, my feminist upbringing, sorry, was that this was a freeing thing. And I'm not saying it isn't for some women, but for my friend, for my best friend, it was devastating. 
and nobody cared about her after she'd had the abortion. I couldn't get anyone to care about her. No one cared that she started missing school, that her grades dropped significantly, except her mother, actually, and I'm devastated by this, but her mother called me and just said, Moira, what's, what's wrong with my daughter? What's happened? What has happened? And I don't even remember what I said. It's such a traumatic memory for me because I felt so guilty that I had um, done something to this woman's child behind her back that had ended up harming her daughter. You know, I thought I was doing all the right things that people say to do when there's a, when there's a, when there's a girl in, with an unpanned pregnancy. I, ha I was one of these people who hid something from a parent. And so me having seen the damage of cutting parents out of important decisions in their children's lives, that was just had a huge impact on me. The fact that it didn't solve my best friend's problems had a huge impact on me. Um, and the fact that nobody really wanted to admit that she fell apart after that and she needed help and nobody cared afterwards. That had a big impact on me. And so the people who do know me know that one of my positions is that uh, if there's going to be pre-counselling, there has to be post-counselling in terms of an offer at least because I know that for my best friend, she wouldn't have gone to the people who you know, are pro-abortion because she's not allowed to have any regret. She was not allowed to admit that she had any regret and so they couldn't or wouldn't help her and she also didn't go to pro-life people because she was afraid that they would shame her and so my poor best friend was stuck all alone with something that had, regardless of whether it should be or should not be, was an extremely traumatic issue for her, so much so and so common that my mum just knew before it even happened that that's exactly how she would react. Well, you've obviously... Now, it can't be that uncommon. No, no. Yeah, if it's well known. Well, you've obviously um, spent a lot of time processing that moral quandary over the years. But you, you seem to make a, a bit of an analogy there. You were working behind this young girl's parents' back, which is exactly what the Victorian government wants to do with supposedly transgender children. I mean, in, in that instance, or for that matter, you have direct experience with this kind of trauma, haven't you? Yes, and it's just this terrible memory. I mean, I was 16. Um, but, you know, the Victorian government should know better. And I'm so staunch about parental rights. In my opinion, you should never be able to lie to a parent, a school, a teacher, nobody at all should ever be able to withhold any information, important information or, or make important decisions on the behalf of other people's children unless you drag them through a court and you prove that they are uh, unsafe, unworthy parents. At the moment, the law states that, you know, schools can withhold, you know, massively life-changing uh, psychological developments in their children, withhold that information from parents because apparently they're unsafe to know, but then every single day send them home to that same, those same parents yeah. to be a bed and breakfast. It makes no sense. It I just doesn't. think either they're unfit parents or they're fit parents. And I'm not lying to any parent without a court order. Absolutely not. And it's presumptuous of the state to assume that they have the children's interests at heart more than the child's own parents. Now, Maura, just getting back to your own sort of moral compass, to what extent does religion guide you? Well, obviously, 
in a huge way, you know, just like atheism is a massive influence on atheists, my faith is a massive influence on me. But one of the things that I say around in the Liberal Party is I, I sort of challenge that, um, that saying that the Liberal Party is a broad church. I like to say, actually, it's not a church at all. And the Conservatives inside the Liberal Party need to be careful that they don't demand that uh, people who are not religious hold the same exact set of uh, moral values that they do based on their religion. Um, you know, I know which party I joined. I didn't join the Australian Christians. I didn't join um, Lyle Shelton's party. I joined the Liberal Party because I want to advocate for my values. And I never use religion as an argument, by the way. I never have and I never will. But I I'm not ashamed about speaking of, of my faith. Uh, but I know which party I joined. And, and I joined the party which I think has the very best principles that can you know, guide us towards a society where we've got, everyone's got a little bit of room. Everyone's got a little bit of room where they can freely associate in and amongst themselves, amongst their own group of friends who agree and believe with the same, you know, on the same values and principles. You know, if you disagree with someone, you shouldn't have your life ruined. Uh, you know, just reasonable freedom of speech, reasonable freedom of association, reasonable freedom, just reasonable freedoms and solid parental rights. And, you know, the only thing that I'm quite hardline on is obviously child safeguarding, and sex-based rights. But I think that's such a basic issue. That's that's nothing to do with, um, you know, with party politics, you know. There is no set of parents that are going to say, oh, I don't mind if the school lies to me about my children. There are no parents anywhere that think that's okay. I don't care if you're left, right, whatever. No parents think that's okay. And I don't care which political party you're in. Women, the vast majority of women, understand and appreciate the fact that we need our sex-based spaces and services. Yeah. You, well, you were you were very articulate about freedom just then. How does how do those standards of freedom? Uh, how are they being maintained in the party at the moment? Well, I think we're having. Uh, I think there's some factional issues going on in the party that seem to be around values. But I I, I hope that even though it looks very messy to people on the outside, I really hope that we can come to the conclusion, really, that we can have people who lean left and who lean right on certain things. But if we really are true liberals, then we will never, ever um, support, you know, unreasonable hate speech laws, but we will support reasonable defamation laws, reasonable harassment laws. We wouldn't support having doctors or anyone really do something that is against their deeply held um, convictions, you know, atheist or religious. If you are deeply convicted on a moral issue, you shouldn't have your life destroyed just because you don't want to personally partake in it. You know, they, I think we have the answer in our party principles. We have all the answers there to help us to get along together and fight together, you know, and, and pull together in the same direction. I really do believe that we do have those values. I just think there's just a few factional issues that could be solved if we just adhered to our own Liberal Party principles. But, you know, we, you know, these are important discussions to have. They're not comfortable, but they need to be had. And so I'm happy to have them. And I'm, I'm happy that they're being had, actually. Well, you're being very magnanimous. And I hope there's a lot of people inside the Liberal Party because it, it is a great party established by one of the greatest ever Australians. And if you can help bring it back together, to restore its, its founding principles, then uh, you would have uh, done a great job. Now, just finally, I've just got two more questions for you. What have you learned sure. from the past month, Moira? Uh, 
I've just learned that it pays to do what's right. So people who haven't even don't even agree with me on certain things, they have they have understood and seen that I actually have reasonable reasons for what I believe and that I have never lied and that I have never been manipulative and that I have tried my very hardest to do what's right. And so there's just, even though that, I don't know, it's been messy, there's been, you know, all this drama, I've just had some unlikely allies. I've just had some really unlikely allies and people come out of the world work to say, look, I don't even agree with Moira, um, but, you know, we need to find a, a way to move forward together. So, well, those qualities—that well, it, it, pays, it pays to be calm, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it sure does, especially in the middle of a cyclone. Those qualities that you just uh, listed—they used to be um, perfectly acceptable and universally admired. I wish they would be again. Now, final question: What do you say to people who still think that you sympathise with Nazis? that is a horrible, horrible thing to say about people. And it is a horrible issue to use to take someone down politically. And I think everybody needs to be very, very dial it down. You know, the rhetoric about, you know, someone disagreeing with you automatically being a bigot, you know, disagreement is not automatically discussed. It's not the same thing. You can disagree with someone that you completely respect and admire and care about and want to fight for the rights of. Uh, but we have, I'm just saying no to my son who's coming here. You know, we have, we can get through this if we just stick to our principles. You know, we really can. So look, it's very hurtful when people say that about me. It isn't true. You know, just because Nazis turned up, that's not my fault. I mean, it's just not my fault. They have nothing to do with me. Uh, and, and people should be very careful about using that as a, as a slight when they don't even know me personally. They don't know my circumstances. They don't even know what's happened. And you can see people all over Twitter and everywhere just, you know, enjoying throwing it around like it's a joke. But, you know, we've already learned that that's insulting to Jewish people. We've already learned that. Um, I already knew that. And and it's insulting to me. And and it's, it's a horrible thing to say to someone. So, look, um, I'm looking forward to having my name cleared. Well, hopefully that happens very soon and we see you back in the parliament as a representative of the party you were voted to represent. Moira Demon, thanks so much for your Thank time. You. That's Victorian thanks, MP Moira Deeming, who was temporarily expelled from the Liberal Party for attending a rally last month to defend women's rights. As another women's defender and political contender, Catherine Deves said on this show last night, it's at times like this that you find out who your real friends are. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. Alan Jones is up next at 8 p.m. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, -E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S. And you can catch all the latest from ADH's rapidly expanding lineup, which now includes the brilliant Damien Curry, who has brought his popular The Other Side podcast to ADH TV. All our other shows by Lyle Shelton, David Flint, Nick Cater, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, Dave Pello, and more are live and on demand at ADH.tv 
on our app or wherever you get your podcasts. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there is no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at 7 p.m. Good night.